Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello there and welcome to the Podcast Hour. I'm Richard Scott and each week I listen to lots of audio stories from all over the world and share the best of what I hear with you. Coming up today, overthinkers unite in a drift, including what not to say at a funeral. My brain was a mess with panic. I didn't know what I should say and as I hugged her, I whispered in her ear the first thing that came into my head. Unlucky. Away with Words answers listener questions about the origins of interesting words and sayings. There's a really nice citation for it in one of the dictionaries that talks about um, when you push open the lid to a carbonated drink, it makes a popping noise. It's literally about the sound it makes when the cork comes out of the bottle. How an award-winning podcast all about Brexit has become a major hit. The conversation that you hear on the podcast is is the same conversation that you would hear if they went to the pub and had a glass of wine and talked about what had happened that day. Finally, an anxiety-laden look into our fears and insecurities. Here Be Monsters, the podcast about... The size of the pea. The podcast about... Something to do with free agency. The podcast about... The unknown. And next time you hear something good, then don't just keep it to yourself. Let me know about it. Pods at rnz.co.nz the email address. And on Twitter, we're at RNZ Podcast Hour. If you're socially awkward, nervous, or of an anxious disposition, or even if you're not, you might enjoy a drift. In it, serial overthinker Jeff Lloyd and his confidant and co-host Annabelle Port sort through their listeners' social dilemmas and stories about their failed interactions with other human beings. The two have an easy, casual rapport. They actually sound like mates. And some of the deeply uncomfortable stories they share will have you simultaneously cringing and laughing. You know when you're sniffly and you can't breathe through your nose, so you breathe just through your mouth? The show's like that. It's like breathing through your mouth and then tasting the world on your tongue and then closing your mouth and then swallowing the goodness of the world and then um, not choking and then being at one with the universe. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Hello, and thanks for downloading our podcast. I want to begin by talking about a couple of the um, difficulties in the social minefield of eating out. Okay. So first thing, just very quick, what are you supposed to do with a triple-decker sandwich? Oh, so difficult. I tend to just 
Either split it in half or get the knife and fork out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, basically, you're saying disassemble it. Yeah, yeah. So then what is the point? I know, I totally agree. And I don't think that cocktail stick is doing very much <laughs> it's not, to keep it intact. It's doing nothing. And I'm, I'm a tiny-mouthed man. I mean, maybe if you have a huge mouth, maybe if you Steve Tyler from Aerosmith or something, <laughs> it's a different experience. Yeah. But how many of us really have mouths like that? Not many. So that aside, um, last night... We went out for a meal with our friends, Nick and Catherine. And do you know what I'm done with? Superlatives after every course. What do you mean? So if you go out for, say, a three-course meal, mm. and sometimes if you're going somewhere nice, they bring you those little things before each course, like amuse-bouche things. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Um, so they come over and say, how was that? You say, oh, it was great, thanks. And then after the next course, they say, oh, and how was that? I get worried about using the same adjective. Oh, so when you say, so "Oh, yeah, it was it was wonderful," and then the next one, marvelous, and I just don't like the pressure of having to come up with a different superlative every time. <laughs> you wouldn't just use the same one, no? Because I think look at him with his limited vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good point. Yeah. Please join me in this bubble that has been forever locked in the glass by the blower. It's it's their breath. It's horrible. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. And this is from Jonathan, the Sultan of the Netherlands. At random points in my life, this story pops into my head and I cringe. I mean, physically cringe, which does get me some strange looks when I suddenly screw up my face in disappointment and sometimes mutter out loud, oh no, why? (laughs) I grew up in Scotland in a small cul-de-sac and the neighbours that lived around my mum and dad's house were much older. As the only young family in the area, and as an adventurous kid, I'd visit neighbours' houses and they'd welcome me and give me juice and biscuits, sometimes play football in the back garden, you know, stuff like that. As I grew older, the visits were less frequent, as it gets awkward if you pop over as a teen. And anyway, I better stuff to do than hang around with old people. And as time marches on, the older the neighbours got, until one day, one of the neighbours died. Mr Smith was a lovely man. I remembered him as someone that was wise, witty and just really nice. So I went to his funeral. I sat in the crematorium, surrounded by Mr Smith's relatives and friends. Everyone was obviously sad and distraught. I was reminiscing on the stories and memories of visiting when I was younger. I remember glancing at Mrs Smith and wondering what she must be thinking. How do you cope with losing someone that you'd married and lived with for decades? These were the generations that really stuck together. This must be absolutely devastating. The world you know, knew, changing permanently, forever. Anyway, the service was very good. Is that right? Feels odd to say funeral service was good. And Mrs Smith waited by the door and everyone queued up to offer sympathy. I thought it was only right to also say something too, so I queued up. I watched the people in front say something in subdued tones, then give her a hug. That's when it suddenly struck me. What could I say that would encapsulate the whole enormity of her husband passing? How could anything my brain create offer any condolence to this painfully new widow that looks so fragile and helpless when she was usually so full of energy and positivity? I did the only thing that I could do and panicked. The, grew, the queue grew shorter. Only five people left and then it was my turn. My mind worked out a solution. Let's get a phrase now. Let's get a phrase and practice it internally. And then when you get there, don't do anything stupid. Repeat the phrase, hug, move on. That's the plan. That's a good plan. Four people ahead. Okay, thanks for saying. My thoughts are with you. Too short. My thoughts are with you in this time of grief. Good, but sounds like something that would come out of a card. It needs to be more personal. Think of something personal. 
Thanks for all the juice. Too personal. <laughs> She'd never remember that she handed out juice. Anyway, it says nothing about her loss. I snapped out of my panic. The queue was getting shorter and with every person, poor Mrs Smith was looking more and more distressed. I regretted getting into the queue. I could just leave the queue, but now I'm third and I can't just wait all this time and then walk away as if I'm suddenly not interested or I'm late for a bus. <laughs> I've got to get my phrase and then just deliver it and get out of this horrible situation. I'm so sorry for your loss. That's better. It's personal. It's short, not too long. Perfect. I started to relax. I'm so sorry for your loss. Hug, release, walk away. I kept repeating it and my lips moved as I practised. Second in the queue and the worst thing possible happened. As if the person in front of me had picked up on my repeated whispering, they approached the distressed Mrs Smith and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I can't say that now. That looks like I've just not thought about it at all. That the best I could do while waiting in line, while sitting in the service, was to blindly repeat the phrase used by the person in front of me. I started sweating. My eyes saw the person in front hug the frail Mrs Smith and walk away. The small, vulnerable eyes of Mrs Smith met mine. I had nothing to say. Uh. I walked forward and went to hug her. She responded with the most frail and heartbreaking hug I have ever had. Mm. My brain was a mess with panic. I didn't know what I should say. Uh. And as I hugged her, I whispered in her ear the first thing that came into my head. Uh. Unlucky. Mortification hit immediately. <laughs> I couldn't look at her. I just started walking very quickly away and never turned around. Why did I come out with that? What was I thinking? It wasn't even on the short list. So even to this day, and as I write this, I can replay the lead up and the moment in my head. Each time I cringe as fresh as when it happened. I hope that in any way, sharing this might make my memory of the situation better. <laughs> oh my goodness that is ex that's extreme yeah that was so great and so wonderfully told yes please if you have a story of your own failed human interactions please share it with us we would love to hear from you until we're all caught out pretending we know what we're doing which we don't obviously mm, it's quite apparent adrift Lily Allen is one of our smartest and funniest songwriters. She's also a pop star, so she has a wealth of experience with hairdressers. Do you think I'm being paranoid in real life that I think the hairdresser might have given me a spiteful haircut? Yeah, I think you might be being a bit paranoid, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to blow your whole concept of your show. But, um, or, the, or this part. I know it's not particularly helpful. Can you... <laughs> it's sort of like the whole concept of my life, to be honest. The whole concept of my personality is just worrying I about think, things yes, like this. Honestly, I think, A, like, you probably are being paranoid. But, B, do you really care about your hair that much or what people think? I don't care about my hair at all, but I'm desperately concerned about what people think of me at every interaction I ever have in my life. You've got to get over that, man. I mean, because otherwise you'd just be sitting there wondering, like, wandering around life, worrying about that the whole time. Like, where does it stop? How do you, um, how do you feel this interaction has gone? Perfectly fine. Okay. I, 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 I'm hearing you say Are you that. worried about how I... What, you're not worried that I think badly of you based on this interaction, are you? Yes. You're going to put the phone down and be like, oh, God, Lily Allen thinks I'm a dick. Yes, yes. Don't do that. I don't <laughs> care. You don't care. <laughs> but even saying you don't care is quite a dismissive thing to say. No, 
Well, I mean, I don't. What I mean is, is I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put the phone down. I'm probably gonna make myself a piece of toast and like settle in to watch Game of Thrones again. Um, but you mean, you know, that's. I'm not. I'm not gonna think about about it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of a drift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Links where you can find out more and subscribe at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. At what point do clothes become laundry? Where does the saying high and dry come from? And is it turmeric or turmeric? These are just some of the questions tackled in Away With Words, a long-running phone-in show from the US that dissects the words, phrases and sayings we use every day. My colleague Mary Lou put me onto it. Here you'll find stories about mangled words, unusual sayings and weird and wonderful origin stories led by two writers, journalist Martha Barnett and lexicographer Grant Barrett. The listeners ask the questions and John Chinesky often pops up to offer language quizzes like little audio crossword puzzles for listeners to solve. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, is this Grant? Yeah, this is Grant. Who am I talking with? Hi, this is Jonathan Brownlee calling from Dallas, Texas. How are you? Hey, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. What's up? Thank you so much. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas, but I'm originally from Canada, and I spent a lot of time on the East Coast on an island called Prince Edward Island, um, which is very maritime if that's actually a, uh, a word. Sure. And there's just some wonderful colloquialisms um, that come out of that, that area, and one of them is uh, a term called fill your boots. And so when they say it, they, they sort of talk in like, hey, boy, how you doing there? Hey, if you could give me like a little bit of that, you know, I, that would just fill your boots with whatever you like. So it's very much of an Irish, you know, almost mid-Atlantic mm-hmm. accent when they say it. And so I was always curious what fill your boots might mean. So this is just when greeting people. Are we talking about a dining situation or something else? Is this just a, a kind of po- a bit of politeness you throw about? Yeah, sometimes I think it means, hey, um, do whatever you like, or um, it's it's used in several different ways. Sometimes it is almost like a thank you. Other times it's uh, kind of a help help yourself mm-hmm. or you know get as much as you can kind of thing. But I was curious where that might have come from. Yeah, it's been around for at least a couple hundred years. And uh, fill your boots is this expression that sort of means to, at least in my sense of it, to to embrace something with gusto, just to go for it. And, and Grant was mentioning mentioning a mealtime situation. Uh, I think of it as, as just like drinking till all of you is filled up, including <laughs> your boots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the metaphor and the image that I've seen in the older text where this is people elaborate on the expression, although often it's just mentioned as if everyone's supposed to know what it means. Right, and it's, it's that kind of phrase that sort of lends itself to lots of fanciful explanations, too. I've seen lots and lots yeah, of attempts a... to explain it, but I think the idea is just saturating yourself. I just want to head off all the people who want to tell us the Lord Nelson story, that the Lord Nelson yeah. story is not true. So, but, um, but there are variants of this too, like get your ears back, right? Which kind of suggests, did you know this one, Jonathan, get your ears back? Didn't you do that on the show at one point? We may have. So it's about the animal at the, animal at the trough, right? Oh. The dog, the dog at the at the feet at feeding time with the ears back to to kind of be more streamlined to go for the food. Oh yeah, different from getting your ears lowered, which is getting a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different from getting your ears lowered. But there's longer forms like dig in and fill your boots, or eat up and fill your boots, or muck in and fill your boots. 
Um, it is, by the way, usually marked in the dictionaries, which between the three of us and anyone else who's listening, I think have done a pretty poor job on this term. I think, for example, the Oxford English Dictionary marks it as British. Some other dictionaries mark it as specifically Western Canadian. Here you are talking about it as Eastern Canadian. Yet I know that I've seen plenty of evidence that it's used in the American South. So there's clearly a lot more work to be done on this term. So it's, it's all over the place. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. I hope we helped a little bit. We rounded that out for you, right? Yeah. Well, you certainly filled my boots. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Good luck. Thanks for take calling. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hi. You have a way with words. Hi. Yeah. This is Craig Sunberg from Helena, Montana. And I was calling about my question of uh, pop. That was a popular term used in the Butte and Anaconda, Montana area when I grew up. Pop meaning what? For like a, a, a soda, you know, for so we wanted to Coke, we'd say, uh, uh, you know, you have a pop. Right. So P.O.P. pop. And where do you live now? I live in Helena. I'm from Butte and Anaconda area, which is pretty much where I'd always heard it growing up. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward story on pop. It goes back to when people first started carbonating their beverages, which is actually my, probably older than you might think, a couple hundred years at least. There's a really nice citation for it in one of the dictionaries that talks about um, when you push open the lid to a carbonated drink, it makes a popping noise. It's literally about the sound it makes when the cork comes out of the bottle. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. That makes sense, right? That's, that's it, yeah. too simple. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, wow. absolutely. And so we've just uh, used it ever since. Hi. And it's, it's, so, it's more of a common term than I know because it lives all over the western United States, and I just never really heard it much before other than that area. So. Oh, yeah. Though, no, there are whole big parts of the country that use pop to refer to carbonated beverages. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most discussed dialect terms in American English. And you, if you Google soda pop map, you will come up with a lot of really great maps that show you where people use these terms. Oh, interesting. That's pretty cool. Craig, thank you for your call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Have uh, a good day. All right. Take care. Bye. So just pop goes the top or pop goes the cork, right? Yeah. You know, he didn't ask about soda, but soda is one worth talking about for just a second. Sure. Soda actually was the name for a couple of different plants, a kinds of salt worts that grow on beaches where there's sand. Mm. And when they burn, they create a kind of ash known as soda ash that helps you create things like glass. So you're on the beach where there's a ton of silica anyway, right? All right. Yeah. And so the term... It's directly related to baking soda. That soda is related to the word sodium. And uh -huh. so these are all complicated together. But we call it soda because of the um, early combinations of chemicals that you might drink sometimes would have baking soda in them in order to create that yep. bulliness. Yeah. Yep. And, of course, those of us from the South call it Coke, yeah. no matter you, what. So in Louisville, you called it Coke? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I wasn't and sure if it went that far north. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. People would, the, you know, the waitress would come up to the table and say, what do you want? And I'd say a Coke. And she'd say, what kind? And I'd say grape. <laughs> right. A grape Coke, of course. Sure, naturally. 877-929-9673. <laughs> You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we are joined by our giant quiz guy, John Janeski. <laughs> Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hello there. How are you doing? Hiya. You're like 6'5", right? 6'5 is me. It's, wow. that's, that's true. I mention all the time Abraham Lincoln was only 6'4". Here's the quiz for today. It's called uh, F takeoffs. Now, we've done takeoffs before. That's where we take off the first letter of a word to get another word. And this time we're going to make two words by taking the letter F from the start of a word. Only F now. For example, if I said I ordered some lumberjack tools by sending some scanned printed orders over a phone line, that would clue both 
faxes and, and faxes. Faxes, yes, you got it. So that's how all of these are going to go. Each clue will clue two words. Here we go. I usually get what I want through either bribery or compliments, especially the second one. Bribery or compliments. Flatter and ladder. Flatter and ladder. Yes, very good. Her flower garden grew so luxuriously that my face soon became red and hot. Flushed and lush. Yes, very good. I'll be appearing in a new play based on a true event. Fact and act? Yes, fact and act. Some of Away With Words, and that's from a recent episode called Spill the Tea, hosted by Martha Barnett and Grant Barrett with John Chinesky. You're listening to the Podcast Hour on RNZ National. <laughs> Janet emailed pods at rnz.co.nz to tell me about Brexit Cast, a show she's become pretty addicted to that features some top BBC journalists explaining what's going on with Brexit. Janet writes it's very backroom and surprisingly entertaining, if not funny. So, a podcast about the UK's eventual withdrawal from the European Union. Really? Well, if you want to learn more about the whole Brexit mess, past, present and future, I can't think of too many better places to start. You've got these four clever BBC political correspondents chatting in a very well-informed but relaxed way about all the twists and turns. They get on well, there's lots of laughs, and they don't mind saying when they don't understand something. There's also this rough-and-ready dynamic feel to the show, so episodes come out whenever something newsworthy happens. Some weeks it feels just about like every other day. And they get recorded wherever the hosts are on the Brexit trail, in Brussels, taxis, Westminster, Strasbourg, even in bed. The notebooks come out, unnamed sources get quoted, and you come away from it feeling like you've got the inside track. I'll speak to the show's producer in just a moment. First, though, here's a couple of clips. This one's from March, so a little bit timestamp, but it's the BBC's political editor, Laura Koonsberg, talking to two of her fellow presenters, Chris Mason and Adam Fleming. Like a fool, I thought this was going to be a relatively quiet day. I thought that the MPs mm. would probably vote to say we shouldn't leave the European Union at the end of March without a deal which would have been an important political expression mm. of will, but wouldn't have changed that much. Except there were absolute scenes, mm. psh, psh. pandemonium, and something else happened. And I've got a little list. Does this help? Let's Go have a list. Do it. Yes, number please one. just talk us through it in, right. in chronological order, yeah. Uh, number one, MPs voted clearly to say we should never leave the European Union without a deal. Mm-hmm. Not binding, but ever. a very strong expression of will. Yeah, ever, 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 ever. That only happened because the government lost so many of their own sides, including cabinet ministers mm. who didn't vote the same way as the prime minister. 13 now, ministers, four cabinet ministers, and then one minister who actually voted against as opposed to abstaining. Right, and quit to do so. And yeah. around these parts, that is a big, 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 big deal. Number three, and this is the forwardy looking bit, Theresa May immediately then said to MPs, well, look, either my deal or a long delay. And guess what? I'm going to have another vote on my deal within the next seven days. And tomorrow, the last thing, the government says MPs will be asked to vote on extending until the end of June. So 
even if she gets the deal through next week, Brexit is not happening on March the 29th. The earliest kind of technical official date would be June the 30th, but she might still make it with the deal through by March 29th. Who knows? And that sense, because I've spent the whole evening uh, loitering in and around mm. uh, the Commons, in the lobby and in the press gallery and then just catching up with people. That sense of pandemonium was extraordinary. Yeah, what was it like? Because I was here like trying to do the so piece of the technical what news work it out. was that, well, what was reassuring because the highways and byways and rules and regulations of the House of Commons are quite baffling if you've, even if you've been here for a while. <laughs> and what was reassuring, speaking to both NPs and fellow scribblers in the lobby was that lots of people were quite confused <laughs> about what was going to happen. But what was really striking, and I know this sounds quite nerdy, but it gets to the essence of the challenge that particularly those who defied the government tonight, the, the essence of how difficult a moment it was. I was looking down into the chamber uh, and you could see ministers trying to work out what they were going to do. Yeah. caught between two principles and two yeah. deep principles. A, a desire not to see a no-deal Brexit mm-hmm. and a desire to be loyal to the government in which they serve. And then you add on to that, that whole thing garnished by a sense of confusion mm-hmm. that I know you've been tweeting yeah, about tonight, yeah. Laura, about whether or not, well, what would happen yeah. if they either abstained or if they voted against. I think there was an expectation that if you vote against, you're going to lose your job. But could you keep your job if you abstain? Yeah, and there's which a whole... It turns out, they could. Turns out they could. So what did you see? Because, you know, these are, are and, and, and you guys, I know that the European parliaments work in very different ways, but here one of the fascinating things about, if you're like us, mm-hmm. about covering Westminster, you see it physically because people have to get up and decide which corridor to walk through. And, so, you know, you see ministers like heads in hands. There was a minister who was phones. literally, not mm-hmm. just metaphorically, literally sitting on his hands in his seat, mm-hmm. not wanting to move. And wow. then people coming up and clearly saying, what are you going to do? And you can see because of the gesticulations, are we going that way? Are we going the other way? In other words, which way uh, you're going to vote? Then he got up and had a wander around and sat down again. Then he got up and wandered out and walked out of the back doors. And I thought, maybe he's just going to the loo. Or <laughs> just just running away. Out of, it, <laughs> out of the way. And then I thought, and then he disappeared. And, I, and yeah. you know, you're then left guessing as to what's gone on in but the I voting think it was also confusion And it was an about abstention a- in the end. And here's another example showing the kind of info that Brexit cast can get from political insiders. In this case, it's the Conservative MP Andrew Percy dishing the details of his happy place in Westminster. Andrew, do you ever hide anywhere in Parliament? I found a hiding spot. Uh, it's a really good hiding spot. That it's there are some. I don't want to give too much away because it's a brilliant hiding spot. But <laughs> it's really find it it's dark. It's like a cube. There, there are some cubicles, and they're in a bit where and you can switch the lights off. And it's on <laughs> a, a toilet. One of the main paths into. It's not a toilet. And <laughs> I have taken to hiding in there. Close the door. Turn the light <laughs> off, and then I put my jacket over me. So over my white shirt. And because it's 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 quite dark, but it's just for a rest. I'm so glad like, we've put the people, new in, put in things in place for people. people coming and going. But the best thing is, like, you can sit in there and no one can see you because it's dark. And it's, so I wave at them and they don't see you. And no one's opened the door and no, no, rumbled go, you. No, gosh, no. And then you, I've even moved a little chair in. Uh, it's a little seat. <laughs> and you see people, people stop outside and have conversations. And you hear all sorts. I feel like I'm in sort of East Berlin in 1983. So what's it? Is it like a little pre-stall or something? It's, it's almost like a pre-star. Yeah. I'll tell you where it is later. 
Well, it sounds like quite a good place for a journalist to be. Very, very close to the chamber. What have you heard while you've been in your hidey hole? Well, I mean, I can't tell you some of the gestures I do at people when they go past. If I don't particularly like them, it's, um, it's you've got to keep some sort of sanity. How long do you spend in your hole? Maybe like, maybe like 20 minutes just when I want to rest or something. I just go in there and have a little bit of a break. So, my staff don't want me. My staff don't want me coming back to the office. When I walk in, they're like, What do you want? So, I'm like, Get out because you're just going to get in the way. Who are you? Um, so, it's great, it's a really good hiding spot. So how's Brexit cast become such a big hit? Well, the idea for the show came out of another similar podcast, all about the 2017 UK general election. Brexit cast's producer Dino Sophos studied politics at uni and was working for the BBC's political unit, so he knew all the journalists already. The most interesting part of the day I found working at uh, BBC Westminster was we'd have a morning meeting about 930 Uh, with all the correspondents huddled around a desk with cups of coffee and just chewing the fat over what was happening in the day, Uh, what had happened last night, what was going to happen today. And I I just thought, this is fascinating. I wish we could just record this and put it out because it was all impartial. They were talking with their BBC heads because it was a BBC news meeting. But it was fascinating because it was kind of unfiltered. They got into lots of detail And that's kind of where I thought, hang on, we should just be doing this as a podcast. But yeah, on paper, when you have to sit down and write the podcast description, what is this? It's kind of like, you know what it is on on iTunes or Spotify, whatever. You have to sum up your podcast in a a, a pithy sentence. And it's kind of like, oh, God, Um, four political correspondents (laughs) sit around. You know, it's it's not sexy. So, yeah, it's it shouldn't work. But the reason Brexit cast works is because. You know, Chris and Adam have been broadcasting together since university. They were on student radio together. Katya and Laura are friends in real life. We're, in fact, we're all pals in real life. So the conversation that you hear on the podcast is the, is the same conversation that you would hear if they went to the pub and had a glass of wine and talked about what had happened that day. It's not forced. It's authentic. And, you know, as you know, podcasts only really work if the voices are authentic and they're being real. And you can spot a phony a mile off. So if somebody's putting it on, it just sounds cheesy. And that's why Brexit Cast works is because they are just being, you know, themselves. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of key to its success. One of the other really nice things, I think, is the way that even though they're senior journalists, they're quite happy at times to go, I've got no idea what's going on. You know, someone else will chime in and it's almost like they'll work something out together, you know, and and explain it to each other, if you like. Exactly that. And that's, and again, that's totally authentic as well. So Laura and Katya and all of them, they all say it's actually really useful. And Katya describes it as therapy (laughs) because... It comes to the end of the day, and they've been covering it from their patch. So, you know, Adam, Brussels reporter, Catcher Europe editor, is covering it from Europe. And Laura, political editor, and Chris Mason, political correspondent, covering it from Westminster. So they've, although they've been sort of seeing on Twitter kind of how, what Brussels has said, they've not got the inside track of what, you know, politicians are saying behind the scenes in Brussels. So it's really useful for them to get their notebooks out and they literally do get their notebooks out and compare notes and get they, you know and you hear it oh well we're being told told that oh well that's not that doesn't chime with what we're being told by number 10. You know and you and you hear that playing out on the podcast and that's it's riveting. One of the real 
kind of indicators of its, of its success and, and the fact that we are kind of breaking ground and doing something that isn't being done anywhere else is that Adams often stopped in the queue to the European Parliament or the European Commission building by advisors to Michel Barnier saying, you know, loving the podcast is really useful for us to, to hear what the other side think. So they're getting, <laughs> they're getting their information. We know MPs, we know people right at the top of the negotiations are listening to Brexit cast to find out what's going on almost behind the scenes because they get, you know, you know, Laura is talking to people right at the top of government. You know, she has the best access of any political journalist in this country and she will get her notebook out on Brexit cast and say, this is what sources close to the Prime Minister are telling me about Michelle Barnier's statement today. So where better to, to hear it if you're a player? So yeah, that, that really, really is just fascinating for us to, to hear when people like that stop us and say, they're listening. So you're the producer. You've got these four busy journalists all over the place, often on the yeah. road, running around. You've got to try and coordinate them and get them all together to record a show, always mm. on a weekly basis, but sometimes far yeah. more often than that. What's the big challenge for you in doing that? How do you do it? Well, it only works because we're uh, we all we all get how it works, and and we, we've had a lot of practice over the past couple of years. Uh, we have a WhatsApp group. You know, we loosely plan to record an episode every every Thursday. The interesting ones is when something really big happens in the news and we just know we have to record an episode. Somebody will just message the group going, we better do an emergency or sound the klaxon. Laura records it in the back of a taxi. We recorded it on May Force One, Theresa May's uh, private plane before. Adam records it in bed all the time because he's usually <laughs> doing the early shift and we record late. So we could, they can pop up from wherever. We've also, I should mention, you know, our brilliant, brilliant engineers. One of your lads as well, actually, a guy called Edward Swift, who's a, who's a Kiwi and works for the BBC in Westminster as one of our regular engineers. And he's for, from Auckland and he's just brilliant. And he, you know, he has the real tough technical job of just making sure the lines sound good and we use all sorts of tricks of the trade to which i won't bore you with of like you know how to how, how it kind of works but the whole idea of the podcast as you know if you heard it is it is rough and ready it is we are literally just going to pile into the studio sometimes we start recording without everybody in the room it's just like they'll join when they can laura is literally running off the 10 o'clock news might have to go back on the 10 o'clock news before the end of the podcast. So, you know, we just do it when we can. And, and that kind of adds to the drama and adds to the tone of the kind of like, you know, everyone's out of breath and, and wired on adrenaline. And each episode then sounds different because sometimes we might record in the afternoon. Sometimes it's really late at night, like really, really late at night where I've recorded an episode before kind of after one of the late night Brussels news conferences that we've started recording at like, 132 and then i've had to edit it so i'm up very very late but the the crucial thing is is that the the episode is up and has dropped in people's feeds for when they wake up in the morning at seven o'clock or whenever and they can listen on their way to work and just kind of knowing that we've it's there for them is just so satisfying from from a producer's point of view is like the episode's there we've done our job it sounds great and we know that people will be listening to us on their way to work and will have explained what's happened in the dead of night it reminded me of the Daily and Caliphate right, that the yeah. New York Times are putting out. And that they talk quite a lot about the, the impact that Trump's election has had on the business, on the media, on mm. podcasting, because it's created this huge interest in sure. politics and how it's covered and, and what people say and holding mm. people to account. Do you think Brexit could be a similar kind of event for the UK media? We know that on 
busy Brexit days, the BBC website has, you know, 70% higher traffic than usual. So people are, wow. you know, just generally audience engagement on this story is massive. So people genuinely are confused. They genuinely care. We have listeners on both sides of the Brexit divide, you know, people who really want to see, who voted for Brexit and want to see it delivered and people who want it stopped. And they all care equally as passionately. And a lot of people who are just really, really confused with what's going on. And they, and, and because we deliver it in a way that's conversational, informal, and we also take our time to explain the day's events you know it's it's where a lot of people come we've got a lot of listeners who say you know i don't i don't watch the news anymore I, I just listen to brexit cast that's where i get my brexit fix from which is really nice to hear and it's also really nice as well that we are engaging younger listeners who don't have a relationship with conventional media who don't sit and watch the news anymore who have spotify who have you know phones and that's how they communicate with the world and they're engaging in bbc news this way and and they're they're getting laura's analysis via the podcast because they they wouldn't get it any other way so we have you know 17 year olds in glasgow messaging us going i've just got into the podcast which is amazing and and that really shows you that actually young people do want detail they don't want superficial kind of nonsense with silly music in the background. They want detail. They want impartiality. They want proper information. And sure, they might not understand every little last word or term that we mention, but they'll get the gist of it. And I think that the fact that Laura and Catcher are so conversational and they talk in plain, real English as if they were down in the pub makes it accessible there's no weird news speak and and whenever we mention somebody or some jargon we'll try and explain it and put it into context so i think that's why it works and it's that really interesting kind of look behind the curtain i guess of of the process of journalism how these guys have contacts how they develop them the information Mm. sources they're using the uncertainty it gives you that kind of insight that you just don't get if you've got an article in a paper with a byline on it you don't appreciate any of that do you yeah, it's the whole behind the curtain thing. They just don't have the time to do that anywhere else as well, never mind the kind of setting or the informal setting of the podcast. You know, Laura has kind of two minutes on the 10 o'clock news, you know, two minutes in the morning on Radio 4. They don't have the time anywhere else to download this information. So, yeah, we can really peel back the curtain and show people, you know, what, what's going on. Um, and, and that's why it's, why it's really successful, I think. Where to next? I mean, it's quite difficult at the moment to see how and when the whole Brexit thing is going to be resolved. Presumably your Brexit cast is going for the foreseeable future, isn't it? It's really interesting. The last couple of weeks, you know, we're, we're about to enter a Tory leadership race soon. So there are bits of kind of domestic politics that are creeping into the podcast, which is totally natural. Because ultimately we're a politics podcast, and that's an, you know as a direct implication of Brexit, so it's Brexit related, uh, and whoever takes over from Theresa May will have to you know try and deliver Brexit or or, or not. I've separately uh, started developing a podcast for the U.S. elections in 2020, which is really really interesting because it's kind of starting something new with a different set of people who obviously are aware of Brexit cast and it's like, are we modelling it on Brexit cast or are we doing our own thing? So that's really interesting. And also the other interesting learning from Brexit cast is kind of how it's affecting our linear output because not only do I think there's a tonal shift, so when people hear the podcast, they go, why don't we just talk like that on 
the radio? <laughs> Why don't we just talk like that on the news? You know, uh, it, yeah. there's definitely a, a people realizing that that conversational approach where you peel back the curtain and you just say it as it is, uh, as you see it, is re- really works. Podcasting has got this intimacy, hasn't it? Uh, this kind of you know, a listener clicking on an episode with their kind of noise-cancelling headphones on and going, I'm going to give half an hour of you talking directly into my ears um, is something really, really special that you don't really get with linear radio because it's often on in the background. So that kind of just respecting the listener's time, I think, in podcasting and the fact that, you know, they've handed their attention over to you and what you do with that in that really intimate setting is something that we can we can take and run away with and go right well how do we tell the story of the US elections in that in that space as the BBC um how do we tell you know if there's another election in the UK how do we do that so you know it it has got us thinking about the possibilities in the future Dino Sophos, the producer of Brexit Cast from BBC Radio 5 Live. The show is presented by Laura Koonsberg, Katja Adler, Adam Fleming and Chris Mason, and engineered by Edward Swift, among others. And Brexit Casts just won the Listener's Choice Award at the British Podcast Awards. And thanks to Janet for sending in that listening tip. Pods at rnz.co.nz is the email address if you'd like to do the same. Back in olden times, Here Be Monsters is what mapmakers are meant to have written over unknown and unexplored parts of the world. It's also the name of an offbeat, arty show that describes itself as a podcast about the unknown. Jeff Emptman came up with the idea for Here Be Monsters back in 2012 as a collection of stories about things he was afraid of. And although the subjects covered are broad and tough to categorise, they do tend towards the dark and the bizarre. So recent episodes have covered the detection of mass killings and humanitarian abuses using satellite technology. And the strange story of a mysterious book that's bound with human skin. Producer Bethany Denton made Hypnosis of Hunger after she found two old cassette tapes in a box in her basement. On them were recordings of childhood visits she made to a hypnotherapist to help with her disordered eating. Listen for the click of the tape recorder as she cuts between these old tapes and her own more realistic modern-day musings. From KCRW, this is Here Be Monsters. A quick heads-up that this episode contains descriptions of disordered eating. And now gently lift your eyes to focus on a spot on the ceiling. Fix your eyes on one spot and breathe in all the way up to the top. Hold it there at the top and release it slowly, gently and easily, coming fully present, fully into your body, fully relaxing. And your eyes will begin to Blink and feel heavy like they want to close down. And that's a good sign, a sign that you're ready to go under hypnosis. So whenever they're ready to close down, just let them close. Good. And now I want you to picture an elevator, a staircase, or a gently sloping hillside out in nature. Just take a moment to picture it 
or imagine it in your mind. There are 10 levels going down and each level that you go down you become more and more relaxed. And when you get down to level number one you will be all the way at the bottom of relaxation. You're on level number 10 now. Begin moving down to level number 9. More and more relaxed. Letting go of all of your thoughts, all of your cares. Here be monsters. The podcast about the size of the pea. The podcast about the unknown. Picture yourself, imagine yourself lying in bed, and you're in your childhood home, in your childhood bedroom. Your walls are speckled with magazine cutouts of Avril Lavigne and Orlando Bloom. The house is quiet. It's dark outside, and the only light that comes in is from the occasional passing car. You find some comfort in the knowledge that your siblings are nearby, asleep in their beds just on the other side of your bedroom walls. See yourself lying there underneath a homemade quilt wide awake as your family sleeps. And now I want you to start tapping your foot in mid-air. And as you start to tap, I want you to allow your heartbeat to increase in speed and for your throat to feel tight. Feel your anxiety grow as you tap your foot faster and faster. Really begin to inhabit your childhood self See, sense, and smell what it's like to be in your childhood bedroom. And now I want to take us one step further in our visualization. I want you to begin to imagine as your childhood self that the movie Armageddon were a true story and that an asteroid the size of Texas was on its way to crush you. Allow yourself to feel terror at the thought of an inescapable danger. And now I want you to picture a terrible explosion, a bright light that shatters your ceiling and destroys your bedroom walls, this explosion from which you cannot recover, a devastating world-ending collision. And as you let that explosion really take shape in your childhood mind, start to picture you and your siblings blasted into oblivion pieces of your frozen corpses floating among the debris of humanity. And so with that image in your mind, I want you to return to your childhood bedroom and your tapping foot. Really feel the tightness in your chest as you tap your foot inconsolably. And then I want you to reach under your childhood bed to the spot where you keep your stash of hidden food the place where you hide your Halloween candy or granola bars. 
reach down this time and feel for a plastic jug full of trail mix. Feel yourself unscrew the lid and reaching into the pile of nuts and chocolate chips. Begin to eat the trail mix, one nut or chocolate chip at a time. And then gradually increase the volume of trail mix that you pack into your mouth. You chew the nuts and chocolate quickly and assure yourself that Heavenly Father would be able to find your frozen body and soul among the ruin of your home and the planet that holds it. And so I want you to see yourself walking through a small grove of aspen trees. Some of Hypnosis of Hunger from Here Be Monsters, produced by Bethany Denton and Jeff Emptman for KCRW, and the show's edited by Nick White. And that's about it for now from us, as well as Here Be Monsters. This week we've been listening to Adrift, Away With Words and Brexit Cast. From me, Richard Scott, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your weekend. See you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.